You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. You can reach into the pew rack in front of you and pull out a Bible, pull it up on your phone, whatever you're into, and turn to Leviticus chapter 16. Uh, probably should say two things by way of introduction. Leviticus 16 is kind of the apex, the first five books of the Old Testament, the five books of Moses, they're sometimes called, and they sit right in the thematic center of this first section of Scripture. And to the extent that we understand this is in a large uh, degree the extent to which we understand the gospel. So we're going to spend some time there today. Uh, And the second thing I'd like to say is, man, what a cool privilege it is to uh, you know, be here with you guys today. So many of you I've been in small groups with and uh, have laughed with and rejoiced with and wept with in a lot of ways. Um, I've been in your houses and you've been in mine. So I'm super humbled and honored by this privilege. I think the last time I was in this pulpit was when I was telling seventh and eighth graders how to play hide and seek in here and to please, please stay away from the windows. Um, <clears throat> so, uh, I wonder if you'd pray with me and for me before we uh, get started here today. Lord, open our eyes to behold wondrous things out of your law. Open our ears to hear your word to us. And open our heart to the good news, the gospel of your Son, Jesus Christ. I'm going to read. Amen. Sorry. Um, I'm uh, going to read verses 29 through 34. Those are the six verses that we'll hang out in today so you can follow along in your Bibles. And it shall be a statute to you forever that in the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you shall afflict yourselves and do no work, either the native or the stranger who sojourns among you. For on this day shall atonement be made for you to cleanse you. You shall be clean before the Lord from all your sins. It is a Sabbath of solemn rest to you, and you shall afflict yourselves. It is a statute forever. And the priest who is anointed and consecrated as priest in his father's place shall make atonement, wearing the holy linen garments. He shall make atonement for the holy sanctuary, and he shall make atonement for the tent of meeting for the altar. He shall, and he shall make atonement for the priests and for all the people of the assembly. And this shall be a statute forever for you, that atonement may be made for the people of Israel once in the year because of all their sins. And Aaron did as the Lord commanded Moses. The word of the Lord. Um, When my wife and I moved a couple months ago, uh, our closing attorney slid a bunch of really crisp, white pieces of paper across a very long table to us, right? And after about 30 minutes of kind of signing your own signature, it starts to look very different than it did at at the beginning of the day. Your hand is tired. Um, You see all these disclosure forms, property deed forms, uh, all the standard customary paperwork over the course of those 30 minutes slid one after the other to my wife and I on this crisp, bleached white legal paper. After all that was taken care of, though, after we had signed all the papers, um, he pulled out another stack of documents. Now, these papers weren't near as crisp as the others. They weren't near as bleached white. But when he pulled these papers out and slid them across the table to us, 
my wife and I both knew, I think, at that moment that these papers were just as impactful and in some ways more so than all the documents that we had just signed. Because what we had now in our hands were decades-old engineering plans and blueprints of the house that we were buying and were about to start living in. Now, the blueprint of a house is fundamentally incomplete. That's kind of the point of a blueprint. It itself is not the house. If all you have to go on is the blueprint, you're going to be surprised by a lot when you walk through the house for the first time. A lot of things that were kind of fuzzy or hard to visualize are really going to come into focus when we move from the blueprint to the actual house. But what's really wonderful about blueprints is that even though they don't change anything fundamentally about the house, they do give us a lot more context and information about the house, about the neighborhood that it's in. These blueprints and these engineering plans tell us that our street used to be spelled differently. It's lost a letter over the years. They might tell us where important plumbing is or where studs are or how the wiring works in the house. They might even give us a sense of how big our lot is. That's exactly the role this passage is playing for us today. The Old Testament, and specifically this story of the annual Day of Atonement in Leviticus 16, is giving us a lot of necessary context to what exactly Jesus did on the cross. It's telling us, in even more vivid terms, just how precious his life death and resurrection was and is, just how sinful we really are. See, toward the end of Exodus and then through the book of Leviticus, this graveyard of one-year Bible reading plans, God is instituting a system by which sinful people, people who break God's law every day in myriad ways, can draw near to this totally perfect and holy God. See, not since Eden have we been able to do that. Not since Eden have sinful people been able to draw near to a perfectly and totally holy God. See, the sin of God's own people, okay, we're not just talking about the Gentiles and Philistia here. We're talking about God's own people. Even their sin is so great that according to Exodus 29, the priests must offer lambs twice a day, twice a day, once in the morning and once in the evening to cover the sins of God's people. And that's to say nothing of this great and solemn day of atonement that happens annually and for which Leviticus 16 gives directions. I mean, can you imagine just for a second being an ancient Israelite, walking out your front door in the morning, seeing a smokestack coming from the temple every day on your morning commute and every evening on your walk back home. Certainly there's a smell that's associated with that, and you see people coming and going from the temple. There's a constant reminder in the center of town that God is holy, and you and I are not. And yet, it's this God, and only this God, who's given you and I a way back into his presence through this sacrificial system and one to which it will point in the future. The holiness of God and the sinfulness of humans, sinfulness of you and I, we can put some names on that. How can these two coexist? Can they coexist? Can this relationship between 
humans and God be repaired? Can humans experience at-one-ment, atonement, a repaired relationship with God? God's answer to us in Leviticus 16 and the rest of the Bible is yes, unequivocally and absolutely yes. So how can this be? How can this massive moral fissure between God and his creatures be filled in? Only by a perfect priest who offers a perfect and final sacrifice for the sins of his people. Now, notice, if you will, in verse 33, Aaron and the other priests beside him must cleanse themselves before they offer sacrifices for the rest of the people, right? Before they try and take care of the sins of the people of Israel, they've got to take care of their own sins first. What this tells us is that Aaron and the other priests whom God is directing and instructing here are really not any different from the people of Israel. Set apart as they may be, differently dressed as they may be, Aaron and company are just as sinful as the rest of humanity. They must atone for themselves. They must repair their own relationship with the Lord before they atone for the rest of, the, of Israel. Another way of putting this would be to say that these priests aren't perfect. In fact, far from it. The writer of the letter to the Hebrews makes this clear when he says the priest himself is, quote, beset with weakness, unquote. Because of this, He's obligated to offer a sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those people. Not exactly a ringing endorsement of the Old Testament priesthood, right? If you uh, needed heart surgery um, or you needed somebody to defend you in court, uh, beset with weakness is maybe not a Yelp review you'd love to see about your doctor or lawyer. Um, So keep this in mind. In fact, in Hebrews 7, we read that uh, the former priests were many in number. There were so many of them because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. The priests of Leviticus were, not, were imperfect, not just because they had to atone for their own sins first, but they were imperfect because they died. The priests in the Old Testament could not continuously go before God on behalf of the people because they didn't live that long. <clears throat> The writer of the letter to the Hebrews surely right when he says that it was men in their weakness who were appointed as high priests in the Old Testament. Again, not a a wonderful review. The Lord Jesus, though, is a totally different high priest in every sense of the word. On the one hand, he's different from Aaron and those who would follow him in degree. Jesus is not sinful. He doesn't need to atone for his own sin. Where Aaron uh, made wrong decisions, Jesus is without sin. Where Aaron was blemished, Jesus is spotless. And where Aaron failed, Jesus is and always will be perfect. As one who is raised from the dead, he can continue to intercede for us. He is never uh, prevented from continuing by death as Aaron and company were. On the other hand, though, Jesus isn't just different from those priests in number or in degree. It's not like he's just a super priest who uh, does things just way better than Aaron and the boys. Jesus is a totally different kind of priest. See, Aaron 
and his descendants and the people around him were merely stand-ins to act on behalf of men and women in relation to God and to offer sacrifices for sins until someone better came along. Aaron and company are, are merely the blueprint of the perfect priest, that, that, uh, the house that Jesus will come to be uh, in a few hundred years. The priests in the book of Leviticus were not only imperfect, but they offered imperfect sacrifices. Do you really think that the blood of bulls and goats could fix the sin of humans, could repair this relationship between God and creatures made in his image? Of course not. Hebrews 10.4 says that those sacrifices in the Old Testament never had any ability to actually take away sin. It's impossible for them to do so. How could the blood of a farm animal that you could pull out of your side yard, no matter how often it's offered, remove the sin of a human made in God's image and yet continuously rebelling against that gracious God? Bulls and goats are not near valuable enough for that. The bulls and goats are, are blueprints, meaningless and incomplete without the house to which they point. They do, however, point toward a sacrifice that is infinitely able to save sinners, a sacrifice that will take place on a hill outside of Jerusalem a few years later. Jesus, this perfect high priest, offers himself up as a sacrifice to cover the sins of his people. And he does this perfectly in a way that Aaron and the other priests could never dream of doing. Good Friday is the true and final great day of atonement. It's the only sacrifice by which humans are actually brought back into the presence of God. See, no more annual sacrifices, no more daily views of the smokestack coming from the center of town. No more reminders of all the times you've fallen short. Surely as Jesus climbed up on that cross 2,000 years ago, he took your sins with him. Not to be brought up in a year, the next great day of atonement. Not to be brought up tomorrow morning and evening as those lambs went into the temple to be sacrificed. Those sins, like Jesus, been nailed to the cross. So if you're troubled today, if your sin is weighing heavy on you, if you feel this burden, you need only to read Leviticus 16.30. For on this day shall atonement be made for you to cleanse you. You shall be clean before the Lord from all your sins. Friends, look no further than these verbs in this verse. On this day shall atonement be made for you to cleanse you. You shall be clean before the Lord from all your sins. There is no uncertainty here, friends. There is no maybe in this passage. There is only shall. There is no, I'll get this atonement started, but you've got to cash it in over the course of the rest of your life from God. There is no, I will give you a boost, but then you've got to get up over the bar from God. There is only it is finished, cried from Christ's cross on Calvary. See, friends, if Leviticus 16 teaches us one thing, it teaches us that Jesus, our perfect high priest, who offered himself 
as a perfect sacrifice, did not merely die to make you savable. He died to actually and certainly save you, to fully and finally forgive your sins and bestow upon you his own perfect righteousness. It's a free gift of God that none of us may boast. The blueprint of Leviticus 16 turns into a house through Christ's life, death, and resurrection. In Christ, we see the fulfillment of all the Old Testament sacrifices, not just Leviticus 16. In Christ, we see that the holy God who is offended by sin is also the gracious God who loves and delights to cleanse his people and forgive their sins. Now, spotless lambs from the pasture have given way to the spotless Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Imperfect priests have given way to one final and perfect priest. Daily and yearly sacrifices have given way to a once-for-all final sacrifice. So ask yourself, as you sit in these pews, are you a sinner? Are you weighed down by the weight of your failings and shortcomings? You think you're unworthy of God's love for you? Then flee to Christ and do it today for the first time or for the thousandth. Come to Christ. Are you a sinner? The answer for me is certainly yes. If so, that's great news because sinners are the only people that God is saving. As Joseph Hart wrote hundreds of years ago, let not conscience make you linger, nor a fitless fitness fondly dream. All the fitness he requires is to fill your need of him. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.